There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. Okay, let's see if this card goes through for that $8,000 drink. <laughs> Everybody wants to be a part of the in crowd. Everybody wants to, to look good. My decision was, I'm not a victim. I'm not going to stay and work someplace where this is a problem. Normally we don't drink on queer money, but because we're talking about a subject that David is rather vanilla on... Um, <laughs> Grab a glass of wine, because you're listening to Queer Money with the Debt Free Guys. This is the only show helping our community do more and be more by talking about money from the queer perspective. All right. Hi, I'm David. I'm John. And this is Queer Money, the only show on the internet talking about personal finance from the LGBT, LGBT perspective. Uh, we believe that there needs to be a, per- a voice in the personal finance space for our community, and that's why we're here. And today's uh, episode, we're going to talk about the gay wealth disparity. Is it true? Does it exist? And if so, uh, do, why does it seem that gay men maybe make more money or have more money than the rest of our queer peers? So let's go ahead and get started by meeting our guests. Cool. So um, we'll let our guests introduce themselves. I'd like to start off with Emma Johnson. Would you mind introducing yourself, please? So excited to have you. Hi, guys. So it's good to see you. Uh, so I'm Emma Johnson, and I'm a longtime financial and business journalist. Um, the last jobby job I had was at the Associated Press Financial Wire. And since then, I've been self-employed for a long time, like 12 years or something. And I've written, I used to have a column at MSN Money. I'm currently a contributing editor at Success Magazine and Forbes Magazine. And I've been in the Times and the Wall Street Journal, um, all kinds of things. And over the last few years, I have really focused on my own platform, which is WealthySingleMommy.com, which is a blog and community for professional single moms. And that has morphed into a passion project, but more than that, it's really my business now. And I have 100,000 visitors a month, and I have tens of thousands of women in my communities. And I have my own podcast, which is called Like a Mother with Emma Johnson. I just had Ariana Hoppington on, which is oh, nice. Awesome. And, uh, and I'm a mom. I live in New York. <laughs> my kids are going to stay asleep in the next room over here. I swear it. <laughs> excited. So excited to have you. Um, Emma's the whole reason we actually have this show. So um, that's a very fun story that we'll tell another time. <laughs> um, Karen, would you mind introducing yourself, please? Sure. I'm Karen Rayforth. I'm a psychologist and a consultant. I do organizational development and diversity work. Um, I am. I do that part time, uh, self-employed. But most of the time, I'm working in the arts community as an advocate, as well as working in uh, radio. We have a weekly GOBT kind of news interview show out of KGNU in the Denver metro area. And also, you can get it kgnu.org if you go to Outsources anytime. And basically, we just cover a, a gazillion different issues around GOBTQ people through town, people we call up across the nation. We have people internationally. I just interviewed someone from Uganda. We try to focus on what we think might be of interest to our listeners and kind of lift them up for the community to think about and maybe take some actions or change their ways. Absolutely. You have a great show and you had us on as a guest a couple of weeks ago and we yeah. had a lot of fun on it. It was yeah. Pretty cool. We we did. Uh, it, uh, if for those who are watching on the right hand side, there is a little bit of a bio there for both uh, 
uh, Karen and Emma. So if you want to link to their sites, there's links there if you need you want to do that. So absolutely. So let's go ahead and get started. The first question that we have is um, to start off with. So this actually came up when um, Emma and I were had a, I was on her podcast and we were talking about why gay men seem to have so much debt. And one of the, the takeaways that I had from that was that there's this perception that the that gay men specifically, but maybe the queer community in general, um, have all this extra income. So uh, ever since then, we've been, you know, batting that discussion back and forth. And so uh, that's why we brought you guys on. So um, Emma, since you, know, you were kind of the nucleus of all this, um, what's, what's your take on things? Does the gay community, maybe specifically um, the gay, gay men um, and generally the queer community have um, more money? Are we, just, are we wealthier? Well, right. So the assumption is like, you guys are so fabulous, right? Like, how can you not have more money? You don't have kids. <laughs> You all work in executive positions in fashion. <laughs> oh, wow. I did not know that. I did know that either. All you do is look gorgeous and loud by pools and tiny swimsuits, right? Is, of course not you anymore. Can. So that's what the look is, right? Like, that's the media perception. And then, you know, the, like, right, that we assume, like, okay, right, you don't have kids. And anybody that is has even smelled a child knows how expensive they are. Um, so there's just a lot of just blind assumptions and I, I always in the back of my mind was always really interested in this because there's that Freakonomics, um, I think they did a whole hour on it a few years ago and I just brought it up again. It was from a bunch of years ago and they were digging, oh, 2013 and they dug into this whole thing and the title is, you can look it up, it's on Freakonomics.com, Are Gay Men Really Rich? A new uh, for, for their podcast and so they really dug into it all of the layers so okay yeah if you don't have kids that makes you richer they tend to live in cities right gay people congregate in urban areas that's like the assumption and there's a lot of truth to that also but then they dug into it even more well and I wonder and I wonder if they did the same studies now today or in a few years but all the discrimination in the workplace meant that they were ultimately at the end of the day no they were actually poor gay men uh, gay women tend to fare better, but then gay women also tend to have families more. But the world is changing so much. I mean, gay marriage, like everything is changing so quickly now. So I don't know how relevant those statistics even are anymore. Yeah, it is changing pretty rapidly. And, and that ties into the study that you found based out of the UK that a gay man in the executive level position has to spend about 54,000 pounds, was it? $54,000 uh, American dollars to um, stay up with his peers. All Everything else being equal, same level of education. What do you mean spend it or earn that much? And uh, they must, they need to spend more on education, training. Um, uh, oh, like overcompensation. Yeah, overcompensate to stay up with their peers. Right. right? Yeah, basically what's saying was the combination of, uh, of time spent on the job, uh, education that they had to it take either before entering the workforce or while they were in the workforce and the um, the efforts that they would make in what they did to try to equal their straight counterparts uh, in their same line of work. So they would spend more time, more energy, more money trying to get that same level of, uh, of uh, I don't know, necessarily acceptance, but the, right, to, to earn the same amount of money. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, I think the freak, the freak economics thing guys too, and Karen, maybe you can talk to this too, is like the mental health stuff, like depression, um, anxiety, they were much more prevalent amongst the gay community. And of course that takes its toll in the workplace. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's why we brought Karen on, because she mentioned when we were up on her show that there's a whole 
spectrum of the queer community that, you know, for example, kids who get kicked out of their house at 12 and 14, well, they're already starting behind the eight ball relative to those of us who, you know, had our parent keep us until we were 18 or 20. Right. You can speak to that, Karen. I mean, absolutely. In fact, there was just a big study in, in New York Times was highlighting this week that was talking about, you know, once you get behind economically, you will then get behind educationally. Once you get behind educationally, you will get behind ultimately in salary and experience and opportunity, health care. It all tumbles down from there. And, and yeah. certainly in our community, with a lot of kids getting kicked out of their house or getting kicked out of school or whatever reason, there are more kids that are homeless. Even if you have a supportive family and you made it through, for example, high school or something, or, or even college, you know, wisely waited to come out until the day after graduation. But even so, the health disparities and the mental health disparities continue throughout people's lifespans. And unfortunately, you know, our healthcare providers, um, some of them are up to speed, a lot of them are not. And if we shift over to the transgender community, things are far worse. Karen, I'm having a really hard time hearing you. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think I may be getting further and further away as I start. <laughs> yeah, I can't hear you. Yeah, sometimes it's, it's going in and out a little bit, Karen. Okay. So basically, what I was trying to talk about was around the homelessness issue and also then talking about disparities that happen in our community around mental health and physical health that may continue throughout your lifespan. You may not get care. And then we all know if you don't get preventive care, that it's much more expensive to fix something later. We know that in every area. And certainly if you look at some of the issues going on in Mississippi, North Carolina, for anybody who thought we're done, everything is cool. Those are wake up calls that things are no more done than they were a few years ago and that the backlash is getting going. And, and that was a big, you know, that was a big fight at the national level around you go after marriage when a lot of people, if they got married, would lose their job or their housing. Yeah. Can you really do that? And that's that's what's coming up in some of these southern states. You don't have protection. You could lose your job. You could lose your yeah, we have um, uh, Dave Montez, one from One Colorado, and he informed us that there are still 28 states that if you put a picture of your spouse on your desk, you could get fired with no recourse. Yeah. Right. So, that, people forget that. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, sometimes I, uh, even my friends around in the Boulder County area, uh, I'll say, you need to get outside the county. You have no idea what the rest of this country is like. It's a fairly moderately conservative country. Right. Even yeah. though, you know, maybe That's true. And I'm saying this is somebody that lives in New York and works in media in New York City. It is. I'm from a small town in the Midwest, and I, I like to think I'm from there, but I've been in New York a long time, and I forget what's going on in, in America. Yeah. So how, how do you perceive it in New York City? Is this something that most of your friends and, and co colleagues recognize this challenge? or The challenge? Well, I mean... I mean, this, by the way, this is not the focus of my work, uh, the gay community. I'm straight and I generally, I write a lot about my dating and sex life and I write very much from a straight person's perspective. Yes, you do. <laughs> I'm very interested in gender and, uh, and gender pay gap and disparity in gender wealth and family. 
And um, so that's something I can speak a lot more authority on. But to that, to your question, uh, John, I do like we're very progressive here. Like, and that's one of the reasons I like living here is because I can assume everyone's left. I don't have to tiptoe around how fucked up Donald <laughs> Trump is. I just let that flag fly like crazy around here without any second thoughts about it. And I take for granted that that is just not America. And um, yeah, so uh, that I think I'm answering your question, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The media is here. That's another reason why I live here is because I work in media and the media is very, very central to New York City. Right. So if you take into account that, you know, we don't have children, um, oftentimes, um, you know, we, we, we got together later in, in our lives. Um, and you know, had a good time, spent a lot of money on clothing and a lot of unnecessary things. Um, is it still then true that, is the perception still true or correct that um, we have more money when you take into account all of the, the um, challenges we have to overcome? Well, I think the most, well, just statistically, no, you have less. Right. Not, I don't, the, you shared with me some numbers, John, about uh, accumulated wealth, invested wealth, and it was like, yeah, gay people have less than straight people, but I actually think some cases gay women had more, but the numbers were not like wildly skewing. Yeah, right. I think that when you, when you look at the investment assets that uh, a typical gay head household has, they have uh, about $6,000 more on average invested for retirement. Um, but the amount of money that their households earn is a is slightly below average, uh, so it's it is kind of interesting. I think one of the things you brought up, Emma, was the the whole idea of the cost of kids. You know, and the, the USDA came out with their study recently that said in 2013 the cost of raising middle class child, cost of raising an average middle class child to the age of 18, not including college, was two hundred and forty five thousand dollars. And you think Her about child. yeah, you, you think about the if that's the average, you, know, you think about all of these families that are are putting their are raising children now that includes things like house you know the cost of a house and and uh, health care and those kinds of things um which in some cases you know you look at some of the houses that uh, that gay individuals or gay couples have um sometimes they're just as big or as expensive as as uh, as their straight counterparts but they're not spending that money so I think um, maybe the idea is that we have more because we spend a little bit more of our disposable income on ourselves. And on the visual stuff. I think it's the, it's the things that people see. They say, oh, you're wealthy because you have a slightly nicer car or you go on two, two more vacations a year than I do. Well, maybe you're, maybe you're not comparing yourself to the right group of people. I mean, we have a couple of a friend of ours that are a couple and they are unfortunately not able to have children. And John and I oftentimes compare ourselves financially to them because they don't have children and they seem to be on this very similar level of, of lifestyle it's as we a are. Couple. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They drink a lot of wine and trouble. I was wondering though, if you're not just like buying into those stereotypes too, because I mean, look, you guys work in high finance. You are like, you're pretty fabulous. That's how you guys got <laughs> your debt pickle you know, those years ago, right? Yeah, you we and um, and you you know you were you live in an urban city so like you know I, that's one environment but Karen's speaking to like America which is small town right. people who are getting kicked out of their homes when they're fourteen 
Right. Right. And that's a whole other thing. Um, but here's a question though. I mean, John, you talked about this when you're on my podcast a little bit. I mean, there is a pressure in your community to be fabulous. That's a very real factor when it comes to money. Yeah. So why don't you guys talk about that? I, I think for gay men, it is, there's that, there's that pressure, um, especially when we were younger. Um, and we just had, we were just talking to somebody about this today. You know, you had, we had friends who were doctors and lawyers, um, you know, working for the DNC attorneys, um, pretty high and mighty people making a lot of money who were hanging out at the same time at clubs and bars with retail queens who were working at Abercrombie and Fitch, Banana Republic. And it, you, with the way they spent and the way they lived their lives, you wouldn't know who was the doctor and who was, who was, you know, hanging shirts at Abercrombie and Fitch. But obviously they couldn't both have the same income. And I, I think that, you know, we were we kind of fell in the middle. I think that there's this, there was that pressure, at least anyway, in the nineties to, to look fabulous, go out every weekend, dance all weekend long, go have fabulous dinners and happy hours. I don't know if that's the case anymore. I think um, the queer community is sort of iterating more with the straight community. Um, and I don't think younger kids go out clubbing as much as they used to. And that's why the gay, the gay club scene is dying um, worldwide, actually. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, there's just an article based in the New York Times, I think, recently that I think you used to have like 20 some gay clubs and now you're down to like seven or 10 or something like that. It's, it's dropped well, pretty This is a little bit different, but yeah, New York, there's nowhere to go dancing. And we used to yeah. rely on you guys to get the dance party going. <laughs> yeah. And I'm certainly, I don't uh, go out clubbing anymore, but I understand that the lesbian clubbing scene has pretty much vanished worldwide. So that, I mean, I think that's another issue. But I, you know, I think what where we get confused with uh, what the media feeds uh, to us is that we're talking about a middle and upper class professional gay couple. Mm -hmm. And the whole, I mean, the queer community spans every age, race, gender, sexual orientation, all of that. There's a huge um, spectrum. Right. And we all know that there's economic disparities if you look at people of color. I mean, if you just look at that, and then if you look at that within the queer community, you have income disparities. If right. you look at the community, across race you have income disparity so i mean in some ways there's this iconic when people talk about gay male couples i think they're talking about a white professional like you said emma urban group of people and with a disposable income to do investments i mean you you interact with a particular group of people that you aren't interacting with people that don't have enough to even pay their rent right. or they're couch surfing or they're in shelters or whatever. You know, the, I think there's this fantasy that that is what gay people are like. Right. But right. it's true though, though, I think in any, so, I mean, I know just like in my work, so I, I write to my peers, like I'm an educated white urban woman who's a single mom and I take care of my kids. I've got a pretty place to live. Right. And people push back. And that's who I speak to. That's, that's, that's my, that's my platform. And, I don't care. And people push back and they say, okay, that's not the single mom story in America. Single right. mom story is it's a, it's a, a racial minority. She's uneducated. Okay. That's a very, a very excellent point. And this a parallel to the gay community, but there, right. oh, the changes are always going to start. Like the policy is influenced by these two handsome, rich white men. <laughs> <laughs> right? Or they, they, have they have access to blab. They have right. they're controlling our money. Right. We write to places, whatnot. Yeah. That's where policy happens, right? 
Right. So when that, like, you know, the upper middle class gets with the program, there is eventually a trickle down. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen fast enough. We have our blinders on, but that right. does not make irrelevant what what the, the debt-free gay guys are doing. It's <laughs> yeah. very important. Right. No, I, I concur that it's important. What I think is wrong is the fantasy, which I think some heterosexuals have is that that's what the gay community is about right. the debt-free guys well i think we're probably no more inclined to, to air our dirty laundry as a, as as a community um to air our dirty laundry as a straight couple would be i mean my sister lived in a neighborhood of people who they could not stop competing with each other they had to move out to stop competing with their neighbors which you know you know it's pretty similar to what you know we experienced at our younger age yeah, and I think that's where, like, I'm always, it's part, like, a little voyeuristic, too, and it's, like, the dice is the juicy stuff, because that is your story. It's, right. like, you guys were young, and you were partying, and I, John, we talked about this a little bit, like, this whole thing about coming from smaller, I mean, that's just how, I mean, it's not just gay, but it's always been, like, you're the, you're the freaky gay kid in your small town, you right. don't fit in. Maybe you had mental health problems or maybe you're kicked out of your house or picked on for sure. And then you flock to the nearest city and man, you find your people and you want to stay up all night partying yeah. with them. Exactly. And that's <laughs> the equation. And that's what, like, I think that's, I want to hear you guys talk about that more because that's, that's such a universal story. Right. Well, yeah. you, you know what, one of the things that's interesting is John and I come from very different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when, um, when I graduated from, high school, I didn't go to college. I was raised in a very religious family and it wasn't encouraged. Um, it wasn't until I was 26 that I came out. When I came out, I lost all of my friends and family, all of them, because all of my friends and family were part of, were part of the religious group that I was a part of. Um, and I got a job, um, this was in 1995, 1995, making $17,000 a year. I did not have a college education, but Every, if I look back over the years, every time I made the decision to try to improve myself, whether it was trying to get a promotion or going part-time so that I could go to school full-time or leaving one job so I could go to another job to get a different set of skills, or maybe then going back to school a second time so I could get another set of skills that I knew I could get a job that was I was a little bit more passionate about or felt better about. I think it I, I, I am at a point now where I'm very, I feel successful and very happy where, where my income level is, but I also feel like I've made some significant changes along the way. Um, and I, I, I do sometimes I wonder, I think to myself, is that something that is inherent to me or is that because I was a part of a community that seemed to kind of egg me on to want to try to do better? And sometimes some as some people, you know, I think of the, you know, one of the statistics that we talked about, um, in prepping for this is that 20% of the homeless community is LGBT youth. Uh, there's a lot, there's uh, more, more than, that's twice the, the, uh, the normal population. So there's a large number of LGBT youth. Are they being put into those kinds of circumstances where they feel like they're going to be able to succeed or be successful? I, I have, sometimes I have to wonder, is it, was it environment or was it, you know, was it nature, something? Nature. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so I guess, story is yeah. you're so high risk like you're so without you know being ostracized completely from your community you know you could have gone the other way instead you really 
you know, the worst case scenario is that you bought too many Abercrombie shirts, and up in, which led to this. He never bought Abercrombie until he met me. <laughs> he was always oh, yeah, a like, guy. You guys, can you, can you have shared? Well, you, you know me, I'm short. He's tall. <laughs> so, but I guess that's a good question. So if this is going to be of any value, I guess the message is to the youth or, or those who are struggling to sort of um, to, to, to catch up with the, the middle class. What, what do you think? Was it was it nurture or nature? Do you think? I mean, you got you, you got into the same group that I got into. Yeah. Um, did you just feel like you had to compete and try to keep up with them career wise and educationally, or what? Do you think it was just inherent in you to do that? I think that part of it was that I want. I always knew that I wanted to do better, and so there was this constant reminder in the back of my head: What is it going to take to do a little bit better? How am I going to be better this year than I was last year? Whether that's financially, educationally, or in my relationships, whatever it was, I think there was something in the back of my, and that's, I think that's part of the reason why John and I oftentimes are reaching out to uh, the youth in our community and saying, you know, yeah, we, we talk about how life gets better, but John and I want to say, this is how it gets better. It gets better because you make a couple of choices along the way. It doesn't just get better by accident. Right. It's, yeah. it's, it's those little steps not these gigantic things, these little steps you make over time, just like you said, a transition here and a you know, lateral move. You have to make sometimes two or three lateral moves before you get you know, the promotion that you want. Going back to school, getting your master's, whatever, right. all those little things to try to continue to get ahead. So I, um, Karen, I'll ask you, since you work with a lot of you know, youths and, and who are struggling, how, what's the best way to get that message to them? Or are they getting that message, I guess? Well, I think, you know, the good, good thing about the internet with um, all youth, that would include rural kids that aren't in urban centers, which is, you know, a lot of times kids leave for an urban center to be able to come out or, or um, be able to be who they authentically are. And I think the internet is a good way. I mean, being able to hear podcasts, see people that are successful, hear people's stories, understand what people are doing take some hope from that. I mean, it just for even for the two of you, you help each other get better. So sometimes it's an adult that will help. Sometimes it's a peer who will help to help you have some hope and spread a, a good message. I mean, most um, of the youth really actually trust each other more than adults most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> We're no longer cool. <laughs> yeah. We, we are hoping those messages get to somebody, then they spread it to each other. Yeah. And they have messages for there are many places to get assistance, to get support. It doesn't even have to be within the queer community. You know, you can get uh, an ally like Emma that can help you, you know, give you an idea, somebody else that would give you hope, give, be a role model, give you an idea of what's one step you could take to move forward. Right. One thing I'm always a big fan of, yeah, find people to help you. But honestly, it's just the people you hang out with every day. Yeah. You know, if you're hanging out with people that are like shopaholics, it's not even funny. Like, it is. <laughs> I stopped. <laughs> like, but it's true. People that are on the same path or people that are just not ambitious and you are, you have to find your people. Hopefully, you know, you would like to that. I, it helps if they're the same, you know, orientation that you are, but they don't have to be. I mean, 
getting rid of those toxic people out of your life, it's not just like a fun meme that we all share on Facebook. It is really the fruits of like, that is the root of your success in life. If it right. Well, so it's, yeah, yeah I, I think that it, it, a lot of motivational speakers have repeated this, but the if you want to know where you're going to be in five years, look at the 10 people you spend the most time with. Uh, and oftentimes that's the case. You know, if you're, I mean, what do they say? They say that, uh, um, an individual who hangs out with smokers, 80% more likely to start smoking. Mm -hmm. An individual who hangs out or spends time with obese people is 80% more li likely to become obese themselves because the patterns and habits that they, that you spend, that they have become your patterns and habits right. too. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, why I think. Divorce is true too. If your friend gets divorced, you're like 60. Let's go down together. <laughs> <laughs> that makes, well, that's why when we went to FinCon in September for the first time, I think that was, that was our first time. That Was that yours or your second I've been, time? That was my second year, yeah. Second time. So it was just like, it was so weird because I'm like, David, these are our people. These <laughs> are, this is, out. you know, we, we, we don't live our lives in our, our dining room doing all of our debt-free guy stuff. And so we went to FinCon and there were like 900 people that are doing similar stuff to what we're doing. And it was so inspirational and to realize Yet again, we aren't an anomaly. We're not weird. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there are people, well, maybe we are weird, but there are other people like us. And that's what I think is key is, is if, if, if you're struggling to get ahead, no matter where you are, gay, straight, whatever, um, if you're struggling to get ahead, what, no matter what your circumstances are, if you get yourself surrounded, surround yourself with people who are trying to do better, who are getting better, and always finding somebody who's just a little bit ahead of you, yeah. just for example, Emma say, telling us, you know, this is what you got. I'm a little bit ahead of you. This is what you need to do. And, you know, Proof is that it's right, and and she kind of nudged us along to do just a little bit better, take a little bit of a gamble that we wouldn't have otherwise taken, yeah. and that's proof that's made all the difference for us. So yeah, I think so that's, that's a great example. For so people who are listening that don't know, it's FinCon. You can go and look. It's a yeah. conference for people like the Jeffrey guys and myself who are. Um, it looks like we're bloggers in the financial world. Me, so it's bloggers yeah. and podcasters, people that roughly work in money in media, and then the, and then connect us with. The banks that have money that we want to <laughs> right so anyways but that was a big transition for me to finding them a few years ago because i had my community was always uh freelance writers and i had a really great run as a freelance writer for many years but that market just tanked it just yeah. that's not a viable business anymore and i and i knew that you know i saw that but all my peers were just like to sit around and bitch and moan about the low rates at magazines it's like you can't argue with the market ladies Right. I take it. I just think they're so stupid and just whining all the time. I hate them. So like I went and found FinCon and then I'm now I'm here on Blab. How good <laughs> Yeah, so I think that's to me that's a big takeaway. Find you know somebody who's a little bit ahead of you, find people who are trying to improve themselves and get ahead and make their lives better. And regardless of your situation, you can make your life your life better too. I think that also when you think about, if you look back at kind of the the maturation of the gay community, how we've matured over the years. It, um, you look at in the '70s and '80s, a lot of a lot of it was just about personal safety and survival. Mm. You didn't want people to know that you were gay, but it, unless you lived in one of the major metropolitan areas. In the '90s, it became the AIDS crisis, and then it was very people were very aware of it. Um, again, I think it was a little bit more about personal safety then too. But I think that during that time period, as as it, as a gay community, as we 
maybe migrated out of middle America to the, to the major metropolitan areas, we started doing things that set us up for financial success compared to many of our peers. And moving to pockets of cities where it was maybe a little bit cheaper to live then, but then they became the hotspots. You know, people who lived in Castro 30 years ago, it was scary. It was scary yeah, or Hell's <laughs> Kitchen or Chelsea, Chelsea those areas in New York. But now those are some of the prime real estate areas. Those people have homes that they have sold off, may have potentially sold off for many multiples of what they per originally purchased them for. Yeah. So they kind of set themselves up for that. Also, I think a lot of the individuals who moved away from uh, small towns and, and moved into major metropolitan areas went after careers or jobs that would make themselves, that put themselves in uh, to be in, uh, in line with financial security because they were so insecure about maybe personal safety. So they, that was some of the things that they focused on. Well, I mean, in your situation, though, I mean, you don't have fin uh, family resources, yeah, right? Like you don't have people to fall back on and maybe like other people might have inheritances that you right. can count on and things. So you have no choice but to be more financially autonomous. That's right. true. Yeah. You either make an effort and succeed or you, you fail. You don't want to fail. So right. you have that mm -hmm. extra fire in your butt. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it kind of, to a certain degree, it may be... Um, it, it uh, imposes a little bit upon the LGBT youth today to think about that because they may not have some of those same advantages. You know, the housing costs across the country are, are skyrocketing and it's not easy to buy into cheap places. Right, but like now it was legal protections too, right? I mean, now there's, you know, insurance and inheritance and legal laws that are grossly protecting many more people. Yeah. Well, and I think going to the second and third tier cities, like we talked about a couple of career monies back, you know, maybe not going to San Francisco and LA and New York, maybe that isn't your best next step, but maybe going to a second tier city like Pittsburgh, which has got a bustling growing community, including a queer community, might be a better place to go to, to at least get yourself, get a foundation started before you then hop off to one of the bigger cities. Yeah. Just kind of be a little bit more strategic about it and just don't, don't just land where, you know, luck takes you where yeah. unluck takes you. Yeah, exactly. So. Where the party takes you. Right. That's true. I followed the snow. You followed, you lived here. Yeah. I, I, yeah. John came here to snowboard and found God me. damn it. I'm going to go back next year. <laughs> uh, anyway, so so I think um, I, I think this has been pretty valuable. I really liked what, what I heard. Um, you know, a lot of great takeaways, I think, for you is, is, you know, surround yourself with people who are want to succeed and people who are doing slightly better than you so you can help progress. Um, be strategic about what you do. Right. Um, don't just go where luck takes you. Um, we'll give everybody an opportunity to make some closing thoughts. Um, so I'll start off with uh, you, Karen. Do you have uh, any closing thoughts that you have you want to share? I think um, just that we need as a community to, when we do become in the middle and the upper class, that we need to have some responsibility to reach out to members of our community and give a help hand up, yeah, um, absolutely. give back, uh, to donate back, to support people that aren't doing as well as we might be doing and, and see that as part of um, how you get your place at the table. You know, yeah. you are fortunate and you need to share part of your wealth. That doesn't mean 
millionaire just means that as you're doing well, support somebody else, help help somebody else a little bit, donate to LGBTQ uh, agencies, because a lot of other people won't do that. I mean, the, the biggest charity giving in this country is to churches. And um, some churches are very supportive of us and some are very anti-gay. Right. And so we need to be supporting our own organizations as well. Yeah, So sure, I guess put that out there as a plea to our community to support each other. Yeah. We need don't, it. Don't forget about everybody else when you make it to the top. <laughs> so. Emma, do you have any closing yeah. thoughts? <laughs> yeah. No, Emma, do you have any closing I, thoughts? Like the whole bit about social isolation. Um, you know, we do, you know, we, we do live in the richest country, one of the richest countries in this world. We do. And there is a way. It might not be in your town. It might not be in your family. Um, it might not be in your social circle, but there we live in time of affluence and choice where you can go somewhere where you will find the answers. There are the, the answers are there. It's just a matter of finding them. Make the effort and look for them. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Any closing thoughts, husband? Yeah, I, I do like what Karen said about uh, the participating in your community. I think that it's very important for those of us who uh, who do have advantages, uh, whether it's financial or time-wise, that we can use those to help others. Um, being a mentor to somebody or just reaching out and offering to help somebody with a project or whatever it may be, looking for those opportunities to help. Um, I, I, One of the reasons why we started the Queer Money Show and are continuing is we believe that a strong LGBT community, that one of the foundations or the pillars of that community is a financially strong LGBT community. If we're struggling financially, whether it's because of student loan debt or because we've taken on too much debt from other for other reasons, or because we haven't made uh, advancements in uh, our careers or whatever it may be, if we're struggling struggling financially, we can't help anybody else because we're too much too much focused on ourselves. And that's part of the reason why we want to continue to try to encourage individuals to become to, to become more financially stable, to become free from the hindrances that allow that don't allow you to participate in your community. Absolutely. I think that we'll encourage people to do that. Yeah. So thank you, everybody. We definitely want to thank Karen and Emma. I know uh, Emma had to get her kids to sleep and it was probably a little more strategic for her to arrive. So yeah, thank you, thank you for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay. We just serviced you. Now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle newsletter at queer.money. Well, I'm not really gay. (laughs) (laughs) Would help me if I had a personal chef made all all my healthy meals for me. Right. So instead I'll have a Snickers tonight for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) The other end, I like the butts, so... (laughs) Uh,